This is Mr. Regular's New Zealand Journal. Leg 1, January 26, Philadelphia International Airport, 9.49 a.m., Gate A-8. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, and everybody is feeling degenerate. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, and we are the worst fans in the country. Some say the best, the most passionate. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the only American football fans who can riot like Europeans. Someone near American Airlines Gate A-8 starts a EA, 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 GL chant. And long, oh, hollers follow. Security guards are all grins. Baggage handlers, too. If the Eagles lose the Super Bowl, Philly is going to crumble. If the Eagles win, the city will crumble and burn. Philly fans flip cars when they win. Winning the Super Bowl will give Dirty Bird fans the energy to flip an office building. An American Airlines clerk gets on the public address system. Now boarding groups four and five to Montego Bay, Patriots fans will board last. And more, woo, and fly, Eagles fly, chants start. I am now on American Airlines flight to Los Angeles. The lead crew member asks if anybody checked a red bag with a Canadian flag tag. A man in the aisle uh, across from me said that he has a red checked bag. But does it have a Canadian flag tag? The crew member asks. And the guy responds, Well, it's not really red, the man says. But it does have a Canadian flag tag, yes? Asked the crew member. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, uh, it fell off the cart and the tag ripped off, said the crew member. One of the ground crew is holding it up outside your window. Go look. Can, can, can you look out the window and identify your luggage? Now, the wife had the window seat, and she says, I can't, I can't see it. Can he, meaning the ground crew, can he turn it around in his hands? Let me look, huffs the husband, and he heaves himself and he heaves himself out of his aisle seat, rolling over, and his pants fall down, taking, his, uh, taking the underwear with them. <laughs> and we see a butt crack as long as a first down. Yep, yep, that's our bag. I can tell because it's missing one peg leg. Red suitcase guy timbers back into his aisle seat, and his mustache looks like it's falling off his upper lip like a water-falling tablecloth falling off a table, and his face flesh is trying to run away from his skull. Midway through the flight, and there's a piss line for the bathroom. Grown-ups wearing pajama slacks. The words train fuck appear in my notebook with no explanation. When you make enough old money, your chin reverses into a concave shape. I'm in the lavatory now, 500 mile per hour piss. I want to sing and shout piss, 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 
but I don't want to cause a scene, so I just say it really quietly. I I'm turning through my notebook here because I had like New Zealand driving directions in here. Oh wow, still New Zealand driving directions. A lot of it. A lot of New Zealand driving directions. Uh, okay. Oh wait, no, no, that's 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 the bumper that you've been reading through this entire. Thing. Here we go. I see frozen lakes below in the American Midwest. The lake ice reflects the sun, making them shimmer like a 70s glam rock band. One of the lead crew members uses the plane's beverage cart to block the passageway to the front galley while the pilot emerges from the flight deck to poop in the front lavatory. Aviation poops. Once the captain finishes his autopilot poo, I go back into the bathroom to pee out my Johnny-come-lately urine. Where were you when I was sitting an hour ago? Tissue paper. Dick dabbing. Back in my seat, I rest my head against the bulkhead and listen to the wind at 550 miles an hour. Down below, lives go on. Down below, someone in Colorado has a Google Chrome browser window open in, in, in incognito mode. He is more erect now than on his wedding night. Furiously strong, twitchy, and stiff. He will never tell anybody what he's looking at. Shame, really. It's only slightly left of your mainstream vanilla kinks. Final descent. Here it comes again. The motherfucker. L.A. I see steroid green lawns popping against emaciated hills. Veins of traffic dry-fuck the mountains where the hyper-rich curve their roads away from each other. So that they can give themselves the impression that they have no neighbors. I see a concrete river. How deep can this city push into the cursed earth? It's 10.15 p.m. body time, 7.15 p.m. local time, here in the Doubletree Hotel near Culver City, California, where a 1970s theme costume party is underway in this hotel. I see dry, clean, fresh pastel-colored dresses paired with unstoppable afros. Sly in the family stone music with bass lines to accompany the all-night wine bar. I'm still wearing my getting on an airplane white dress shirt, orange tie, and navy blue sweater vest. I'm a good boy. Maybe I can blend in when I walk up to the hotel's second floor mezzanine. Nope, nope, I don't blend in. A blobbish daddy looked me over with who are you eyes. I turn around without saying a word. Back downstairs I go. The lobby bar is open to my kind. I have no drinking notes for myself apart from... Uh, oh, oh, <laughs> this one guy comes up to the hotel bar downstairs where I belong and tries to get a refund on his wine because it was served in the wrong kind of glass. Because this disco party is going on, all the good wine glasses are for the party. So they ran out, so they started using the regular wine glasses, that, that, that like the thicker regular glass, not the crystal ones. The, the, the regular wine glasses that you get if you order wine on room service up to your room, these are the thicker, smaller ones that don't break when you drop them on the floor. So this guy says he wants a refund because I can't drink wine out of a sippy cup. 
And uh, the bartender, she goes, I, I don't have any other glasses besides these. And he goes, oh, well, can I get my money back? Like, it's a full glass of wine he has in front of him. And so she says, I, I can't do this. And the guy goes, oh, well, just give me a double whiskey, neat. So he gets his double whiskey, and then he has one of these dress shirts. He's fat. The shirt is trying to untuck itself from his, you know, trousers. And I'm drinking a, I'm drinking a, a, a gin martini, which is my go-to thing at a, at you know, a hotel bar or a gin and tonic. Gin's my game. And then I get his wine because I was cool with a bartender. So now I, now I have liquor and wine. Saturday, January 27th, Malibu Kitchen, Malibu, California. This is the vintage car spotting place, so the internet says, so we went out here on our day off. I see a gleaming white Porsche 944. I see a Reddit prostate-milking dirty Mark I Land Rover, below which two yellow Labradors snooze. I eat some kind of smoked salmon, smoked sal bleh. I eat some kind of smoked salmon sandwich prepared by someone whose eyes disliked Buick. Oh man, this is a sentence. I eat some kind of salmon. Bleh. I eat some kind of smoked salmon sandwich prepared by someone whose eyes disliked viewing frolicking young adults. Outside on the porch of Malibu Kitchen, tiny crows bark pleasantly. Maybe they're mimicking other birds, or maybe they've learned to make pleasing sounds which make humans toss crumbs. It sure worked on me. I laid down generous chunks of my cinnamon roll. I watched the birds look at the marble-sized hunk of breb and sugar. They tilt their heads, wondering how to fly off with it. Nick, Dave, a friend from town, and I walk out to Malibu Beach, where we see phones held high trying to capture genuine moments. I wonder what Malibu-born children are like. Where will they go to escape? People of Malibu. <laughs> the people of Malibu. Beautiful and mean-looking. Now we're back at the hotel. The night bartender is seven fruit flavors of over it, grabbing empty plates and napkins as if they are personal insults. Now it's the next day. Fly out time. Fly to New Zealand. Sure, just do that two hemispheres away. At my insistence, we arrive to LAX Tom Brady International at 3.30 p.m. for a 7 p.m. flight. Nothing to do but hurry up and wait. I, place the I pace the long way up and down the international terminal of LAX with earplugs in my ears. I feel the temperature rise and fall as I enter and exit groups of people clumped together like leaves in a stream. What mysteries lie in the Emirates Lounge? There's a Porsche apparel store, and one female employee is inside, and no customers. She is young. She is young and blemishless, like a comic book heroine. Her eyes are unfocused, and her lips are curved upward in a casual smile. Motionless, she stands. I pace when in airports. I pace. I, I can't sit still. How long does it take to walk from one end of the terminal to the other? 15 minutes? Great. If I make six laps of the building, we'll be ready to board. We're ready to board. 15 hours to Auckland, New Zealand. 
take a sleeping pill. Take a sleeping pill after you watch a movie and settle in for the long half-sleep. My notes become jaggered at this point, sleep deprivation in a strange city. Here's what I recorded after we landed. New Zealand, January 27th. Oh, I'm sorry. New Zealand, January 29th. 3.10 p.m. local time. Hot summer weather for this country. Some kind of heat wave is going on. Feels like 89 degrees. Whatever. My head is cloudy, full of fog. I'm surrounded by Blade Runner city talk. Nick collapses, and I am determined to fight sleep. Andrew and Isaac take me to an aeronautical museum. My speech is labored, and I'm on a vintage trolley now. A trolley that only runs within a museum? Follow Andrew and do whatever he says. How am I here? Where are we going? Brass rails, wood bench seats, harsh light, and midnight shadows all at once. Stay in a moment and don't panic. You are in New Zealand. Stay awake for another nine hours and then sleep. Follow Andrew and everything will be fine. Isaac takes a photo of me writing. I am in an aviation museum and I see a TBM Avenger, the same make of plane Samuel Hines flew in the book Flights of Passage. New Zealand received two TBMs for the Second World War or slightly after, someone will know. The TBM is one of the largest single-engine warplanes the U.S. ever made. It's a torpedo bomber, and it carries its torpedoes internally. And for a moment, looking at this plane, I forget my fatigue. We're now back on the museum trolley. The sun is bright, and the wooden bench is a vibration hemorrhoids enlarging plate. Cars. Parked cars here don't make sense. New Zealand feels like an unfinished GTA mod. Some of the cars are real, and some of them are just made up. Kids are just as impatient in any accent. Kiwi talk. When not concentrating, it sounds just like a whole bunch of E's and Y's. We're back in the hotel room. The hot hotel room, where I sing O Canada while lying face down on the floor. The next day. I'm curled into a fetal position, lying in the Highlander's third-row seat, jet-lag, still trying to sleep in between stops. I sleep for one hour, and then stay awake for two. Then I sleep for another hour, and then I'm awake for two. The Highlander crawls into downtown Auckland. Auckland, New Zealand. It feels like a mix of Toronto, Canada, and Portland, Oregon. Our city is clean, modern, and we're better than you because we're more sorry for our privilege than you are. I see jaunty buildings, awnings. I see no police. It's a youthful city, youthful citizens. This is a youthful country. The old look young, and flip-flops are not flip-flops. Now we're sitting in an upscale food court where a smiling East Asian woman handed us, a numbered, handed us numbered pedestals to place on our tables. We don't receive our food from the counter. They bring it to our table and no tipping. And they keep smiling. And I awkwardly take my ordered bento box. And our waiter, she wears a, a kimono. And I'm an asshole. 
I'm standing on a bench in the Auckland area. The sun set a few minutes ago, and the sky is purple. You know, if the missiles fly, I feel we'll be safe here, I confess to Andrew. The thought has crossed my mind, replied Andrew. January 30th, 8.52 a.m., Auckland Hostel. No air conditioning. The night cooled off enough and I slept with no blanket. My clothes are hanging by the window, drying. I wash them in the sink. The front desk of this hostel is not staffed 24 hours. You have to use your key card to swipe into the building. This hostel is more like a college dorm. I see strange folks hanging around the front steps, waiting for someone to let them in. They smoke and eye up anybody coming up the stairs or going down them. Nothing is scheduled today, and I don't have diarrhea. I called Isaac Dog, but I, he didn't know what I meant. Later that day, at Piha Beach, we're at Piha Beach, and things are okay here and I burn my feet on the black sand. It's not really black. It's more light brown. But they call it black. I don't know. Anyway, they warned me that the sand was hot, but I didn't listen, and now my feet are red. The lifeguards here at Piha Beach are nice. They aren't whistling, or they aren't blowing their whistles every five minutes at someone who strayed one meter outside the flags. Isaac and Andrew tell me that there's a reality show about this beach, and people die here. The beach didn't look or feel all that dangerous to me. The waves were larger than the waves in, in, on the Jersey Shore, but that's about it. February 3rd. We're fast-forwarding here. I didn't take any notes while filming, and now we're at the Auckland Airport again, waiting for a one-hour flight to waiting for a one-hour flight to Wellington to begin the second half of our trip. No TSA here, just private security who look, talk, and walk, and move their arms like human beings. Reasonable prices here in AKL. $8 NZ for a chicken wrap. That's about $5 USD. The domestic carrier is laid out like a Southwest airplane, no first or business class. There are overhead monitors, but instead of playing a movie or a show, all the monitors display is general, is general trivia questions, the kind of questions displayed in a movie theater before the previews. The trivia questions were Kiwi-centric, and I knew nothing except for Kia Ora, because everybody says it. Coffee and cookies on a one-hour puddle jumper. I love Air New Zealand. We land. Cold today here in Wellington. Feels like high 50s. What is that in centigrade? 16, 6, 10? Who cares? I need a knit cap. And why am I always hungry here in New Zealand? I'm always hungry and thirsty. I want ramen. I want comfort food. Andrew has some. Andrew, may I have a pack of ramen, please? Sunday, February 4th. My notes are becoming erratic. Days are filled with activities which I can't recall. I do recall I am snoozing in the rear of Isaac's Lancaster 6 between locations. Here are some uh, entries. Seashore Cabaret, Lower Hut, Wellington, Brave Burbs. Battleboard Dog Ears, letter E. What does that mean? Lower Hut, it's like Puget Sound with no garbage. 
Lower Hutt has a beachfront, but only a few businesses, the opposite of Ocean City, New Jersey. A mother holds a large, unruly child. Oh, now I remember what these notes are about. We're having breakfast at Seashore Cabaret. Every New Zealand breakfast is top tier. Anyway, a mother is holding an unruly child who is screaming with his fingers in his own ears, determined to ruin breakfast. The mother carries her snotty disaster away as he yell cries, still holding his ears. He wants to be held, but he doesn't. Being a child is to be in bondage, to have no sovereignty. Wellington, a coastal city without suburban sprawl, the mountains put a stop to that, no building past them. I stir my flat white, and Kaz and Andrew are confused. There aren't many dangerous animals here in New Zealand, just birds and rodents and deer and sheep and some cows and horses for pleasure and well-behaved dogs. Andrew tells me that native New Zealand animals are trying their hardest to become extinct. Whoop, mispronounced that word. Native New Zealand animals are trying their hardest to become extinct. Sometime later. I'm now standing in another national park, looking over another breathtaking view. God smack my eyeballs. I see wind turbines. This national park grows wind turbines, and I can watch wind turbines for hours. I am standing on a bluff high enough above the surf that no sound from the waves reaches my ears. A valley cuts into a green plateau to my left. The valley is unnatural because it dead ends about one-eighth of a mile into the plateau. The valley doesn't cut all the way through. This is the kind of place in a JRPG where you find a member of your party who previously ran off but now is back and has something really important to tell you. Assault my eyeballs with full frontal scenery again. Gulp it down. Don't swallow because we're going to fuck your roads and cones in the next... Gulp it down. Don't swallow because we're going to fuck your rods and cones on the next hill. Some time later, a day later, I'm filming outside Wellington. Wind blows so strong I can't think. Wind in Wellington is so strong it blows the thoughts right out of my head. I try to film cars coming and going shots. Wind catches my camera's lens hood and fights for control. Only shooting from a prone position works. New Zealand, Wellington. Everything is a wind-weather emergency by Pennsylvania standards, and my bucket hat doesn't work. I am thirsty. All the time I am thirsty here. Maybe I'm sweating, but the wind just blows away my sweat. Hunger. Wind. I must finish this film shoot. Why so hungry? Oh, I'm in a strange place and reptilian brain danger. Reptile brain sees unknown landscape, unknown land, unknown resources. When is your next meal? Question mark. Next meal may never come. Eat now. But then filming is over and concentration can end. My double NZ reward is a solo drive from Wellington to Carterton. See, up until this point, Nick and I were chauffeured around or drove cars in which a Kiwi was present. But now I get to solo drive. I'm solo driving Andrew's BMW 5 Series into the New Zealand unknown.
Nick and I will drive through the Rimataka Pass, and I concentrate like I'm 17 years old again and driving without mom or dad in the car. I drive like I have to demonstrate mature skills to the Commonwealth. Oncoming cars aren't about to hit you. Trust the centerline. New Zealand. Lift the country. Logging trucks hard corner through the Rimataka Pass, and we are peaking responsibility. This is peak responsibility. No fixers here and no cell service. Adventure bikes paint the line behind us. Eight and two, or nine and three. Switch them up and complete my purpose. Be real. Be a good American. Blend in. Be Kiwi. Keep up with traffic and fear no cliffs. I mean, the tradey vans certainly don't fear the cliffs. The Rimataka Pass ends, and our Loner 5 series reaches the Warapapa's welcoming flatness and the Johnson's Farm. Welcome to Carterton, New Zealand. New Zealand, the bonus level. The secret super post... <laughs> New Zealand, the bonus level. The super secret post-pacifist ending. New Zealand, happy headcanon. Here, folks are happy to see you. Kiwi birds and flightless parrots happen when eons of wind makes natural selection go, how about no? Johnson's Farm, I throw sticks to a forever fetching dog. And I eat the best meal of my life. Lamb and sheep ribs and steak with a green salad. All the food came from over there. Right over there. Right over the fence. I miss it dearly, but now my notes say, back in L.A. I'm at a hotel bar, same bar as before, same drink, gin martini. I hear one long second honks and fire engines and police. There's always an emergency, and I saw a young 20-year-old slumped on the sidewalk. So, so name your tragedy. I see a lone street donut. In New, Zealand, in New Zealand, kindness is genuine. In Los Angeles, kindness always precedes the hustle. I once again look at the L.A. traffic snake. And I wonder if, Welling if the Wellington scene gets boring. There was only one party street in Wellington, and how many times can you look at the blanket man and feel a mix of schadenfreude and town pride? But when Kiwis hug you, it's because shaking hands isn't enough. And I think of memories of the Johnson's farm. I think of their garage with the big meat freezer and the gum boots all up on a shelf next to a door leading into the kitchen below the dog leashes. I think of Juliet's work mat with indentations where the hot barrel of her glue gun melted into the hard black foam. I hear dogs in every room. I think about her fidget clicker toy on her desk. I think of Bryce's long striding walk. His wiry arm wrapped around my neck in a weird naked choke. <laughs> Which is what started this wrestling match. I don't know, but it got serious when I boasted that if I'm still on my back, I could still cross elbow you. <laughs> eh, we were drinking. And then he picked me up and choked me. 
Well, it's the next morning, and it's breakfast in L.A. Welcome to the USA, plastic eggs. I miss flat whites. I miss piercing that creamy hymen. New Zealand was egoless. If you want to stay home, stay home. We don't have to go to a party. Andrew doesn't mind. You don't have to undulate around someone's kitchen to music you don't like, trying to impress pristine bodies who may know a famous podcaster. Then, if you can, if befriended, ask them for an introduction to that famous podcaster, and you play the long social media game. Networking, they call it. No, not in New Zealand. We can watch birds, look for fish in Wellington Harbor. Blues music doesn't work in New Zealand. They don't have the programming for it. Blues, bourbon, and, and regret. God, that stuff is comforting to me. The days were so full in New Zealand, and night came as a by the way. Now, first off, flying Air New Zealand was a wonderful experience. Those 12 hours really just zoomed by between the free movies, TV shows, and games on the little screen in the front of the seat, the better-than-average meals that they'd routinely wake you up from your nap to serve, and the booze they didn't seem to mind offering. Now, with that said, none of the flight attendants actually woke me up while they were handing out the arrival cards. So when Brian and I went through customs, I didn't have a card on me, so we had to step out of line and walk all the way around to the service desk so I could get a new card, fill it out, and return it back to the agent in front. We step out of the airport and into the New Zealand summer, and even though we're no farther from the airport, I can already tell that this is a foreign country that isn't going to feel all that foreign in the grand scheme of things. Between the ubiquitous American fast food restaurants like KFC, Burger King, McDonald's, and Wendy's, and our shuttle driver to the car rental agency who was totally American, although I couldn't place his accent, it was somewhere in the south. It's pretty surprisingly simple to drive in New Zealand once you go through the line at the car agency. They basically just make you watch a video on the rules of the road in New Zealand and what kind of trouble you can get into if you don't abide by them. Again, it felt a lot like home, sort of a DMV situation. But hey, I didn't mind it, and not the least of which because I'd just gotten off of a 12-hour flight where the man in the seat next to me spent the better part of the evening into the next morning going through two barf bags and multiple bathroom trips. I remember him waking me up to excuse himself so he could use the bathroom, which was no problem. I understand the struggle, naturally, and I tried to stay awake for his return, but couldn't keep it together. I woke up sometime later to find he hadn't returned to his seat, so I figured he'd died or something, and so I went back to sleep. By the next morning, he had somehow reacquired his original seat without having woken me up, which I consider pretty impressive, considering how tightly packed we'd been in there. I often found myself wondering about that guy, and if he was ever okay again or if his entire New Zealand trip just involved vomiting in increasingly beautiful places. But now I'm getting off topic, and I don't plan on talking your ear off for another 42 minutes, so... Anyway, I talked about Piha Beach in the last video, but what I neglected to mention was the people there. The girlfriends being carried across the scorching hot sands on the backs of their bachelorette runner-up looking boyfriends. Girls in short shorts and fashionably pained expressions migrating south, but taking the long way around like some flightless bird. Even around their boyfriends, they speak in hushed, excited tones, as though they're all single and a boy they like is ten paces ahead. Everyone here is stupid beautiful, to the point where I wonder if living in New Zealand for long enough would somehow arbitrarily make me hot too. 
like a portal you step through that shapes you into the ideal version of yourself. Like being Billy Batson, but without having to shout out Shazam first. Anyway, when we meet up with our hosts, Andrew Lamb and Isaac Blomfield of Camshaft Software, the makers of Automation, a video game for every gearhead who said, I could make a better car company. Well, this is your, oh wait, okay, sorry, I'm getting off topic. We meet up with Andrew and Isaac, and we ended up in this hotel in a place called Otahuhu that had no air conditioning and windows that didn't open all the way. So Brian and I stuck our pillows in the fridge during the day so they'd be cool at night, even though I probably should have just stuck my pillow case in the freezer. But it's neither here nor there. Auckland is the part of New Zealand that looks like a far cleaner version of home, so everything felt vaguely familiar. I mean, you could be forgiven for mistaking Auckland for Pittsburgh at times. Now, for the majority of the trip, I made a point of not really looking at the itinerary, so I had no blessed idea what we were even doing from day to day, which is fine because apparently our first few days in the country were free days where we could do whatever we wanted and adjust to being in a different hemisphere altogether. I adjusted by watching the Royal Rumble, since it was airing live on Eastern Standard Time in the U.S., and the heat wouldn't let me nap off the jet lag. Not that jet lag is a thing you can really nap away. But luckily, I'm able to finish the entire Royal Rumble before we head out to dinner, and it's a pretty interesting spot known as Elliot Stables. This food court that's dark with oak everything, and various shops from which you can order your lunch or dinner. Service is slow, and none of the servers in the food court seem to know where any of the tables are since it's fairly cluttered, despite being a pretty wide open area. It's to the point where patrons loudly applaud the arrival of food as I eat a burger and fries and drink a heavy foreign beer, the make of which I can't remember because I'm an asshole and forgot to keep track of these things for the people who give a damn about them. I did notice that a sign at the Elliott Stables asks patrons to inquire about bookings, at which point I came to the realization that inquire is an anagram for the name Enrique. Yeah, that's all I got. Basically, when you're at Elliott Stables, you're in a place where every group of people that arrives looks like a field trip. And it's sort of that way at the beach, too, but it's not like I could blame anybody for coming to spots like these in droves. This is the kind of beauty you can't trust, with a moon like a spotlight and a green light on the other side of the water like it's the great goddamn Gatsby, and water as blue as the balls of an edging enthusiast. It's crazy. I feel like I'm on a soundstage for a big-budget blockbuster, but really, I'm just in some local beach with a playground that the four of us climbed around despite being grown-ass men. But could you blame us? There were rope ladders and rope tunnels and slides and giant hamster wheels to run in, and those classic sit-down merry-go-rounds. This entire country feels like a cross between Martha's Vineyard and a foreign place you win a trip to in the showcase showdown. The days are filled with filming, yes, but we're driving exotic, weird cars on the side of the road and getting bad at by wandering sheep. And the nights are filled with a haze of good beer and borrowed lingo. We walk briefly past an open mic night in downtown Auckland where a man was playing The Boxer by Simon and Garfunkel, but an even sadder version, to which Brian noted, I never thought I could hear that song played any slower. And he was right. In a sense, sadness almost felt like something that had to be manufactured here. Because everyone was so damn nice, and the weather was even nicer, despite the fact that the hole in the ozone layer over the country pretty much meant that I had to bathe in sunscreen if I didn't want to be lit up like a Roman candle. Yes, I know what I just did there. During filming days, in between the parts where I'm needed, I stop at a cafe down by Marai Thai Beach and order a tea and a slice of orange almond cake that's more moist than the front row of a Richard Marks concert in 1989. 
The cafe has bare walls, and I wonder why there are no paintings or posters or pictures adorning the wall, before realizing that nothing they could hang would be prettier than the view out the open doors and windows. The North Island is a land of strong milkshakes and stronger coffee, and a cultural argument over who invented the flat white, because we sure as hell aren't having any flat whites this good back at home. We're not even having breakfast this good back at home. The Seashore Cabaret in Wellington basically delivered one of the best breakfasts I've ever had in my goddamn life, and all I got was avocado toast and bacon, because I'm a millennial and have no ambition to become a homeowner, apparently. The Seashore Cabaret is a pretty wonderful little establishment with pinball machines, the fortune teller from the movie Big, and photos of children boxing for an audience of old men some 70 years ago, because I guess watching children knock each other's baby teeth out counted for entertainment back then. The food has an aroma on that delicious middle ground between perfect and burnt. And as we wait to be seated, a child in line is scared of the fortune teller, so Brian steps in front of the machine to shield the screaming child from having to look at it. You know, because Brian's a good dude. Okay, so Wellington Evenings. Oh yeah, we're in Wellington now. Well, they're like the autumn that Eastern PA never got this year. And the airports are like bus terminals signaling that air travel isn't quite so daunting. Back home, flight always feels like such a big deal, such an occasion, something you should wear something nice to do, something you should expect a lot of bureaucratic grief for even trying to do in the first place. But not here. Everything is just so laid back and so chill. Everywhere we went and in every situation we encountered, we were met with a degree of friendliness that forced us to confront the inadequacy of our own pleasantries of hellos that didn't convey enough welcome, of thank yous that didn't convey the proper depth of gratitude. At our fan meet the night before the Leadfoot Festival, it was just one awesome person after another coming up to thank us for what we do, to ask us how we were enjoying our experience so far, and making all sorts of offers of cars to review while we were there, although we just didn't have the time. And my sorries never felt sincere enough, and I always felt like I was coming across like a dismissive jackass, but I'm gradually getting used to the idea that even in the context of fan meets, I can't be all things to all people at all times, and I don't know that anyone wants or expects me to be. People just want to hang and chat, and so that's what we did, and we took pictures, and we signed things, and then we hit the road. You can check out my Leadfoot Festival video to see how that went, but needless to say, it was a show swallowed up by a ton of acreage and a big, big crowd. And now my timeline is all out of whack because this was before we even went to Wellington, but long story short, we eventually checked into an Airbnb in Greytown, which was voted New Zealand's most beautiful small town for 2017. I'm exhausted, but mainly because we're in the second week slump, which happens with any trip of ours that lasts more than a week. But much like Bruce Banner's secret is that he's always a little angry, mine is that I'm always a little tired, so I'm kind of used to functioning in that state. And so it was when we went to Hard Park, which you can experience by checking out Brian's video on it, considering that I spent the entire afternoon in a bathroom throwing up, because I took my anxiety medication before realizing I had nothing to wash it down with, and by the time I did get something to wash it down with, it had already started dissolving in my esophagus and leaving me with heartburn on the scale of swallowing an infinity stone. I mean, do we even know that infinity stones are hot? Who knows and who cares? I'm assuming they would kill you anyway. Long and short of it is that I took it as a lesson. Remember the hard park heartburn. Always have water with you wherever you go, and preferably food if you're going to be taking pills. But that's just for shooting days, not in general. I'm not saying to literally have food with you everywhere you go, but eh, I digress. As we neared the end of our journey, I remember Brian inviting me outside to look at the stars, because we have nothing like this back at home due to light pollution. I wasn't expecting to see much, but it really was something else. 
It was like being in a planetarium, but it wasn't a field trip, so the show didn't have to end. And I just lay there next to Brian, my boss, my friend, watching the stars and the constellations. It never occurred to me that there would be stars. So damn many of them. The final leg of the trip brought us to the Johnston's farm, with Juliet and her husband Bryce, who made for one hell of a grill master when we came by to visit. We played with their dogs, Tahi, Stella, Rocky, and Carrie? I want to say the dog's name was Carrie, I don't know. But we ate heavy meats and light salads and drank whiskey and threw sticks for the dogs, who ran amongst the sheep and the cows and the horses, a delicate ecosystem of biological chaos. We went to the offices of Camshaft Software because my timeline is getting distorted, and we played virtual reality racing games and searched for the comfort of a virtual breeze as we crashed time and time again. We did a stream of Automation's latest build, and we spent our last nights enjoying beer in Caswell Parker's house, recording an episode of the RCR podcast, and eating the best Indian food I've ever tasted. And why is time escaping from me now? I find we're suddenly back in Los Angeles and doing the Smoking Tire podcast, and Brian goes to meet up with an old friend, so I have the afternoon to myself, so I disappear into the Peterson Automotive Museum because I've never been, and I go on the tour of the secret cars they've got in the basement that you're not allowed to film, and then I take a stroll on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and accidentally catch an eyeful of dick when I turn my head to confirm that, yes, this man is taking a leak in front of the Palladium outside the Dua Lipa concert, a sentence that wouldn't have even made sense to me two years ago. And I find the stars of stars I consider stars. And I drink $18 whiskey in a bar near the Pantages Theater where they used to have the Oscars. Because I met a girl and went to Rochester once and fell in love with whiskey. I searched for a bathroom as the sun set and the darkness could only rise exponentially. And I wandered into a Scientology museum and was offered a coupon for free entry. I left without leaking, freaked out by the giant bust of L. Ron Hubbard's head standing in front of an indoor waterfall. Somehow majestic and tacky at the same time. We meet Matt Farah for dinner at this amazing Asian restaurant, and we talk, and it gets dark, and we drink heavier beers, and it gets darker. I don't know what my life is or what it's become. I just know that I love it, that I get to go to places like New Zealand and Los Angeles and the UK, and that I get to see people in all those places, and that I feel respected or even liked in all those places, and I get to shake hands and make connections in different countries, different continents, different hemispheres. If this is all there is, I think I'll be okay. I'm going to be okay. I am okay.